The Restless Midlifer podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. Hi and welcome to episode 106 of the podcast. Now this week I've got a great interview with Tim Lewis who I've known for a few years uh, and Tim has a great story to share with us in terms of his life experience and also how he came to be doing what he's doing now which is the owner of Stonham Press which is a uh, publishing, training, and social media-based company. And as well as that, um, Tim does some travel and some travel blogging and vlogging around that. So we get into that, and we also get into a number of aspects around how he came to be doing what he's doing. And for me, in terms of that restless midlifer spirit of, um, I think it's it's interest. It's always interesting hearing from people who perhaps haven't taken a traditional or a typical course in life, or have made some sort of change as a result of events in life. Um, because for me, it's that realization that we we aren't necessarily stuck on the path that we're on. Um, we might choose to stay in a particular career, profession, or run a business. But we, we can sometimes feel stuck in that. And there are lots of compelling reasons why we might stay stuck, uh, having been in the police and worked with lots of um, colleagues who kind of get tied into that financial predictability, the, the, the golden sort of nugget of the pension at the end of service. Um, I, all, I know that that can be a real tempting um, thing to, to hang on to and to sort of just get through. In terms of our business life or our work life, etc., and really, that's what the restless midlife is all about. It's kind of tapping into that spirit that perhaps we we crush down or silence in order to get on with life and sort of do the safer thing. And it's no criticism because I think these pressures are very real and very powerful, and it's they're not something to be suddenly dismissed or thrown away without some serious consideration, some thought. Um, but again, it's useful to hear, as you've heard from a number of guests over the the last hundred or so episodes, um, it's useful to hear that there are other paths, there are other worlds out there, and the world is bigger than perhaps the profession you're in or the line that you're the path that you've taken. So I think that's really uh, an an important thing to bear in mind. And Tim shares his story and gives us some insights into his side of things. So hopefully you enjoy that. <clears throat> um, in terms of my food for thought this week, what I'm not, what I want to do is just start to prime really your thinking around food and our food and drink I guess this could apply to but food and drink and our relationship with it because I have a feeling that what I want to do is explore this and try to start to get my thinking around this um, out over the next few episodes and coming weeks Um, what's our relationship with food how do I we identify ourselves um, as a person in relationship to the way we eat, the way we live, our activity or lack of, that kind of thing. Because as I always say, it's not about the diet. When we're talking about health change, particularly in midlife, when there's a lifetime of habits embedded, particularly those well-being or not-so-well-being habits um, that are embedded and rooted in um, behaviours over the years, that can take a lot of unpicking. And that rooted behaviours often ties into coping mechanisms that we've learned over the years and built up to get through life and this ties into the relationship side that we might develop with food uh, and drink Um, and this is what I want to explore but for today what I want to do is just get you thinking about it and ask you that question what is your relationship with food and drink because if we think about it there it can serve it serves and they serve a number of purposes um, you know in terms of how we navigate life. You've got the functional side, I guess, for food and drink. You know, that functional bit is to 
pretty much provide the needs of us physically and psychologically. You keep the brain running, the body running. You know, so there's the energy levels, the repair, the growth, the functional side, providing the stuff we need to get through the day to day. But it's so much more than that, isn't it? It's, it's become woven into the fabric of our society, of our cultures, um, and really who we are and who we identify as a person. And that's why I talk about it being a relationship. And that can be <coughs> manifold in the sense that we can talk about our relationship to food, as in how do I relate to it? Do I treat it as this or that? Um, and I'm going to dig in a little bit to that. But there is also the fact that we can develop a relationship with food and drink that perhaps can be an alternative or uh, something else in addition to that human relationship side of things. You know, we have, we have human relationships in life, you know, that perhaps close, intimate relationships, family, friends, work colleagues, that kind of thing. And in terms of that relationship, this is where food and drink can take on more than the functional side because does it provide something like connection? Does it provide something that is that can help, that helps in its in its own? And this is you know health helps in air quotes here, um, in its own way, in its own predictable way potentially, um, to provide things that perhaps we're not getting in relationships or in a particular relationship. Perhaps we've developed relationship with food and drink because it gives us some sense of comfort. So we, we have an emotional aspect to it. So we have the functional side of eating, um, the, the, the physical, if you like, the physical side. Um, we have that emotional side to it as well. And is that relationship, and this is the question I want you to think about is, what is your relationship to food? And is it providing an aspect there, food and drink, because alcohol can figure, figure uh, largely into this as well. Is it providing something in the way of Comfort, emotional comfort, emotional numb, numbing, some sort of balm to the to the stresses and strains and the pains of life. Can have we come to treat it as that trusted friend, that trusted confidant or friend that we can go to and we know what we're going to get? Now, I'm not saying there isn't a downside because obviously there is. That's the challenge with it, isn't it? You know, whether it's excess weight, whether it's uh, feeling bloated and sick after a binge or drinking too much and the, and the consequences that come with that. But that relationship, for whatever reason, can pro provide something and it's what we're getting from that. And this is where that layering on of the physical with the emotional becomes a real issue. And then we can add in the social because, and I do differentiate, I guess, between this, the, the emotional and relationship and the social side because the social side is that it is built, again, into the, the fabric of our cultures, I guess, how we interact, how many times we've got the pictures. It's ex kind of, is it the expected thing? We'll have a big um, uh, bucket of popcorn. Just don't forget what the heck it is, a bucket of popcorn or hot dog or that kind of thing. Or when we're out, it's accepted that we have a drink or if we have a coffee, we have a cake with it. You know, the, the things that are kind of ingrained into celebrations, what comes along with that. Commiserations, you know, even things like funerals and, and sad occasions. So food is woven in there and there's a social element. So it not only can it provide that relationship side of things that we get from the food or the drink, something that perhaps is missing in other areas, but it, it gels us together as human beings. 
it gels us over a meal with when we're talking to people it gives us things to talk about to share whether it's talk about a particular recipe a particular this an event that we're looking forward to a meal with friends that kind of thing i know when i go on holiday um well, i think most of us do this when we're going on holiday but one particular i, I tend to go every year with uh, a couple of mates uh, away on holiday to Spain and one of the key topics is what are we going to have to eat what are we going to have to eat each night and we'll plan it out we'll plan it out weeks before and to be fair I'm not sure how much planning there is because a lot of it's quite predictable it's the same steakhouse the same Indians the same Chinese possibly different Chinese depending on where, what's open at the time you know that kind of thing but it provides social connection and communication and shared experiences so this is the power of food and drink and this is what I want to just start to tease out. And really, that's my food for thought today is to get you thinking about that. Because if we start to explore, as I do with clients, um, that side of things, you know, in terms of, you know, it's not about the diet because let's be right, any diet can work. Pick a diet, any diet. Now, from my point of view, I'd always encourage you to pick something that's based in health, that's not going to be extreme, that's not going to be, that's going to be something you can sustain, gives you all the needs physically as well as the, the other side. But we will then dig in. You will choose potentially, and my clients tend to choose what works from, a, from the things that have worked in the past, um, ideas, thoughts, and they'll kind of shape the physical side of the 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 their eating routines and rituals, uh, activity, exercise, that kind of thing. What, how to build in friction to the activities and exercise, the exercise, sorry, the the food or the drink that they want to eat less of or consume less of. But then we need to get into that other side, don't we? The the habits, rituals, and routines around why we're eating or prone to eating or prone to binging or snacking excessively, and it can be something as simple as just being bored. It can be something um, related to well, it's there. You know, and the habit is there. You pick it up, you see it, it's there. So that can be dealt with. But what can often, what often gets overlooked but is really important is to look at the, the deeper side. What does it actually give you? And what, why have these habits formed? And boredom is one thing. But is it because it's numbing out uh, an unpleasant emotion? Perhaps you've had a meeting that's where you felt stressed, angry, frustrated, and you've had it, if, particularly if you're working from home or you're working in the office, you head for something, whether it's the, the chocolate supply or the crisp, um, the crisp, the bags of crisps that are hidden in the cupboard, whatever it is, there's something there that triggers it. And it's often around the emotional bit. And then obviously we need to build in so, so, social occasions. So that's what I'm looking to tease out over the coming weeks is, is where we can start up, where we can identify the factors at play, what can we then start to do about them? And this is something that uh, I, lo I love to explore. I love to explore with clients. I love to explore with myself. Um, and for me, to, it starts with that question of what is your relationship with food? How do you relate to it? Where do you find it fills a gap? Where are the social aspects to it? What are the physical sides, the, the functional sides that you, you recognise you do need? And where does it differ between that and the additional stuff that we take in that perhaps we don't really need, but it's just built around the customs, the habits, or the emotional side of our life? So have a think about that as, uh, as you sort of navigate your week. Have a great week. Don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze, but just start to notice. Without the judgment, just start to notice some of those things because what I want to do is tease that out. Um, and if you have any particular thoughts or questions around that, um, give me a shout, dave at restlessmidlifer.com. I'm always interested to hear your questions, particularly about that, any feedback or ideas, or even have a conversation if it's something you do want to explore yourself uh, more deeply.
But for now, that's my food for thought. On with the interview with uh, Tim. Catch you on the other side. Now then, Tim, it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, we've known each other for a few years and uh, recently had the, uh, the joy of jumping on to your podcast, Not Another Live Show, is that the right title? Yes. Yep. Oh, no, yep. Not Another Live Show. That's, another, uh... another Live Show, yes, that's yeah. right. Yes, um, so it was great, and I thought it'd be really timely to get you on and to talk about your experiences and uh, your path in life, because I think it's fascinating. So do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself, um, your background and what you do now, and then we'll dive in? Well, I'm uh, 50 years old, so I guess I'm in the target audience demographic for this show. And um, I used to be an IT um, person for many years until I was about 42-ish. Um, and that was partly, I switched over to writing books and doing social media stuff and lots of other things, which we'll probably get into in the show. Um, but a lot of that came out of the fact that I was widowed in 2011. So I was, I married my wife in 2007 and then she had a stroke in 2009 and then she died in 2011. And that kind of changed my view about the world. So that's how I kind of ended up in business. So that's. Kind of me in a nutshell, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, sorry to hear that. I mean, obviously, it's a huge life yeah. changer in lots so many ways. Um, so, if you don't mind, just, just talk about it because I think sometimes there's pivotal moments in life, um, and they can be both positive, but also often it's the negative ones that make yeah. you kind of question and think and reframe. Do you want to talk us through what led you to? Because moving some from something reasonably secure, I would guess, in terms of IT yeah. and job, to what you do now. Don't talk me through that, if uh, you don't mind. Well, I mean, it, it's it's interesting because I think it was a mindset shift, um, and that's the sort of thing that happens after, often after you have tragedy or some upset. I, I mean, I suspect if my wife didn't have the stroke and she hadn't passed away, obviously, then I probably wouldn't be talking to you in this capacity now. I, w- I would still be working in IT. Hmm. Um, I mean, we didn't have children, so there wasn't that feeling of, but even so, like at that stage, having a job and a consistent income and keeping that career going was something that I felt I needed to do all the time, which is what so many of the people listening to the show probably think as well. Obviously, if you have children and you have other commitments as well, but there is very much this cycle that we get into a position where we we take on things that men mean that we have to keep doing what we're doing and that's the way it goes. And it's funny because my wife worked my my wife worked for an insurance company. So there was quite a lot of insurance payments and stuff. So I could pay off the mortgage of the house I've got after my wife died. And I didn't really have the pressure of having a job anymore for like a consistent income as as you normally do when you're paying off a mortgage but it still took me like two years after my wife died to switch to doing other things and it wasn't so much that um I, I knew that I couldn't do it I was worried or anything it was this fear of just that extra jump and I think you probably would have encountered this with a lot of people but it it takes a lot to make those jumps in life even when you're in a position where you can think oh I'm going to do something else 
because I had a great boss for a while, quite a long time, and then he was replaced by a not so great boss of the company. Mm. And it was also clear that I'd reached the career peak where I wasn't going to get promoted any higher in the company. Um, and then we like younger people, and you end up being managed by younger people who aren't necessarily, don't tally with your personality style, let's say. And yeah, literally, I spent about a year and a half taking in resignation letters and then not giving them to my boss or the boss until one day things happened and I was asked to make some people redundant. Uh, it happened to coincide with the anniversary of me being at the company for a long time. And in that day, I just quit. Um, and it's still, I was still working there for another nine months because of various issues, because they needed me for a contract and I got paid extended money and all the rest of it. But yeah, they, it took me a long time to actually, and I wasn't even intending to go into sort of online business or write books or do anything. I was just going to do contract IT work. That was the limited jump that I was thinking of doing. And in the end, I never did because you start finding this whole world of online business and stuff, and it's way more interesting and fulfilling than just doing what you were doing before. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting, isn't it, that you talk about the jumps. You you, you said that point about you know it it still takes something a bigger. It's a yeah. big jump to move, and you need you often need these things that kick you in the backside or whatever. Um, and I think that's true a lot. And, and even so, some people will kind of put up with it or choose not to or hold back, and that that's fine. That that's the decisions we make. But it it is sometimes those moments that catalyze it, and I think this is where you know we talk about midlife, uh, and we mentioned the word midlife crisis in the past. Yeah. Uh, and uh, sorry, before we went uh, on to record, and I think that's where this phrase can becomes relevant in the sense that that f it's sometimes around a few events where we start to question ourselves. There's something deeper in us that can feel really pressing and crisis-like for for many of us, and and that's what could be the impetus to move. Um, or to, to make the change you know and I think that's that's where it's interesting because obviously you can still go either way you know on that um, and it's how you you frame the crisis and I think that's one of the issues I have with that phrase that it's often it's either treated as a joke you know you bought a Ferrari mm. and you, you know, you're having your midlife crisis or it it isn't actually you know it, it is a joke and it's lighthearted. it's not really appreciated it in terms of the seriousness of it and and what that it could be an opportunity rather than a crisis you know in terms of that that side of it so yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think obviously you're going to do the the IT the jump into IT work, but you then start to explore other things. So how did you get into this the path that you you got into? Then talk us through that convoluted route of um, in my notice period. I read this book called Write, Publish, Repeat, and it was by these three people who self they run the self publishing podcast. It doesn't exist anymore. It might rebranded as something else now, but. Um, and they talked about how they were writing fiction and making a consistent living doing that. And I'd always been somebody who wanted to write books and things. I wanted to write time travel, I wanted to write fantasy. But I had always unfinished books. <laughs> I'd write like a chapter or two and then I'd... But the good thing about their book is that they had a, a basically a scheme for writing books, which was write the first plan out the first draft and then write the book as fast as possible um and i managed to do that during the last parts of my well it was i wasn't actually noticed i was i was on a short-term contract because they needed me for some thing which was very lucrative actually and helped in a lot of ways um and i was working three days a week then so i could do the other two i could do writing 
So I wrote three time travel novellas in that time. And I was like, well, I want to have a go at this, this uh, self-publishing. Because the world of publishing, I mean, the world has changed massively since when I was a teenager. Because it used to be, if you wanted to start a business, you really needed you needed um, a shop or some sort of retail unit or an office space or something like that. But since the internet's come around, it's you don't need an office. You can work from home. You can set up a business online. And okay, it costs money to run a website. It costs money to run an email address. But that's nowhere near as much as renting a shop yeah. or renting office space or doing something like that. So it was interesting for me to learn about how the world has changed in terms of, I don't think it's any easier, probably more difficult to start a business than it has. It's just so much cheaper to start a business now of any kind than it was 20 or 30 years ago. And it's so much more easy access for things. So I, I started off writing books um, and then I, in the, I basically got so interested in marketing and online business to try and learn how to sell my books <laughs> that I kind of ended up doing more of that than I do. So now I don't really, I do need to write. I've got, I've got a bit of a block about a book I want to write, but I do need to write more books. But most of the stuff I do now is nothing to do with books really, apart from I've got one live show called Book Chat Live where I talk to people about their favorite books. Uh, so that's kind of a nod to it. And I used to run a Twitter chat for the Alliance of Independent Authors about self-publishing. But I'm now moving to, more towards video and live shows and that kind of stuff and education in general, actually. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think you're right. There's a lot of opportunities out there. And, and sometimes when you sort of just take the blinkers off, I guess, or just step in, it it's amazing what's out there can be feel a bit overwhelming at times especially oh, yeah. if, you, if, if there's pressure on in a lot of ways but you're right so do you want to give a shout out to the books that you've wrote just just because i i love to write i've you know i've self-published a couple of things non-fiction um but I, i'm fascinated with the whole world of writing anyway so give us a shout out to your books well the first three books i wrote were uh three time shop books and they're like good old-fashioned sci-fi time travel so about a guy, it starts off with the interesting premise of somebody meets another version of themselves who invented a time machine who is trying to, and it all ends up in a weird story where the <laughs> that then person then has to take, goes into, uses the time machine that his other version of himself has created and then ends up in this weird loop. Right. Um, and that's more or less what the three books are about, who comes around back back to himself right at the end of the third book not mean to spoil my own books but i just did um and the other the next three books i wrote were all what i would call comic fantasy really um i will cut i'll put a little asterisk there to come back to that in a second but um where there's a a magpie from our world that goes into a fantasy world and it's all about his adventures in that fantasy world so it's sort of not really the little asterisk I'll come back to is that if you write a book and you don't understand what genre it fits in, it's a lot harder to sell it, as I discovered. Right. <laughs> um, and in fact, I mean, the, the last book I wrote was a book on social media networking, so nonfiction, entirely nonfiction. And I interviewed 20 people about how they'd use social media to get ahead in their lives. Um, and 
it was it was intended as a positive book on social media because there were so many negative books and social media is fantastic for making those connections with people um for example the number of people who've got jobs from social media is is amazing mm. um there's a statistic from i think it's the euro bureau of labor research or something like that some u.s body that said that for every draw uh, every job that's in the u.s that's a new job 60 percent of those only 60 percent of those jobs are advertised right 40 percent are given to people the employer already knows off the bat so that could be something they went to school with somebody they know or it could be somebody they met on social media mm. of the other 60 percent half of those there is an interview process but then the job gets given to somebody the employer already knows right so it's like it really is who you know and it's always been who you know yeah um, and this is like one of the big issues with diversity and all the rest of it. It's like it's very hard to struggle past that knowing somebody. But what is so great about social media is it is a way that you can get to know people outside your usual. You don't have to have gone to the right school or you don't have to live in the right area or you don't have to play golf with the person. You can know them on social media and then make that connection that way. Hmm. So that's what the book of social media networking is all about. So um, yeah, that's my that's my book journey, so to yeah. speak. So. Cool. Yeah, yeah, you're right about the connection side. I think it's 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 certainly opened that up. And you're right. We can we can focus on a lot of the negatives. And I sometimes talk I talk about how it can be used as a distraction, etc. But it does offer a lot of connection. And and where would we have been potentially without it over the last few years, in particular, you know, with lockdown and what have you, the technology that uh, that developed or that we had. Um, but yeah, so in terms of the writing, because you said that you'd always wanted to be a, to to write, or was it to be yeah. a writer? Was it when you say you always was it just something you wanted to dabble in or try, or was it a deeper sort of desire? Um, I'd probably put him on the dabble side, to be honest. I wouldn't. I'd, I've never wanted to be one of these struggling artist kind <laughs> of uh, writer people. But I yeah. did want to write sci-fi and I wanted to write fantasy, which I've done both now. Um, and yeah, it was something that I wanted to do and I enjoyed doing, I enjoyed telling the story side, basically. Um, and the and the power that you get in books. Now I have kind of learned a lesson which is obvious to most people who've ever done anything with books is that books are not a way to make money, really. There are, there are two ways that people make money from self-publishing. Uh, I'm happy to elaborate on if, <laughs> if you're... Uh, give me the time. The first way is what like this self-publishing podcast guys did. Um, and I know a lot of people do. And there's a whole Facebook group, like uh, 20 books to 50K, they call it. And these are people who are almost mass producing books. So right. they will write a zombie book every month. And they'll be like, write it as fast as they possibly can. And, on and they were all in a long series. So it will be like, Dave Zombie Book One, Dave Zombie Book Two, after like 12, 13 books. And the reason why that's better from a marketing perspective is that you can sell, you can spend more to promote your books if you've got a big series of books. So somebody will buy book one. If there's only book one, then that's going to be like two or three dollars. But if they're potentially going to be buying 14 books, hmm. that could be 20, 30 dollars. 
so you can spend more money promoting your books. And also, people know there'll be a next, there'll be another book coming out every month. And people won't forget about you. So that's one way to make money from books. The other way for the most of the rest of us who aren't that productive is to use books as a way to sell something else. Right. So you could write your guide to de-stressing with Brussels sprouts and then have a £10,000 de-stressing course or workshop or anything that is like a really high-ticket item that you only need like one in 100 people for, who read the book to, to buy, and that, that, that can make you money. So I think that's that, for most of us, is the best way to use books to make money. Mm. I mean, books... Books are fantastic for credibility. It's like being interviewed on TV or because everybody wants to talk to the person who's written the book on a topic. Um, so books have so many advantages, but they aren't in themselves a way to riches for most people. Yeah. 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 I think I've discovered that quite early on when I wrote a biography of a friend of mine and um, you kind of think, oh, maybe it will. But then yeah, it's probably made a few hundred quid over the years, and it's and, and to be honest, I learned a lot from the cra about the craft of writing from doing it, and I probably got a lot more out of that than the um, you know than any financial side of it. But I think for many people, for me, it's interesting that I think sometimes when you're in that place, where is this it? You know, is this what I'm? Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm a bit stuck in my career or or whatever. Um, it's well what can you do and exploring options which is why i asked is it was it a desire was it an itch to scratch you know that th those kinds of things because sometimes it is just a flight of fancy or an interest and what is the harm in trying it or testing it out or having a go and then the world's opened up hasn't it like you talked about a book there that um helped you sort of get on track with writing it what was it called again because i think it was a it was a good title to to mention if anybody is particularly interested in having a go at the writing yeah, write, write, publish, repeat. Write, so, publish, repeat. W-I-T-E, publish, yeah. repeat. Yeah. Um, can't, uh, I think Sean Platt, um, David somebody and somebody else. <laughs> yeah. I'll make a note of it. <laughs> a long time since that. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was, I mean, it's quite long-winded, but the, what they say is really good yeah. in terms of an approach to writing because... It's not just about the business side, it's also about the writing side. Yeah. And I found this idea of you write, you plan out your book first and then you write it as fast as possible. So you want the first draft to be, you You don't worry about mistakes, you just write a first draft. And that's a psychological thing that if you've got a complete first draft of a book, it's way easier to edit that and finish it than if you've got half a chapter here uh, and there. And also, I don't think people appreciate like how hard it is to write a book over a long period of time because you forget things. And if you've got to go back and reread what you did because you can't remember what you wrote before, that takes extra time. And there's also every single time you do that, you're also more likely to think, I can't be bothered to give up on yeah. the book. Uh, I don't know about you, but that, that would be the case for me. So there is a lot to be said. Just get that first draft done. Almost take two weeks off work and just write it continuously um and even if you can't write you can you may be able to record because i i don't know if you about you for the, if you do transcripts for the show but you can get an awful lot of words just by recording audio <laughs> and transcribing it um yeah. so if you even if you not don't feel you're a great writer as such you could record it 
and then get transcription. And then you've got lots of lots more editing with a transcription. Yeah. Well, that's one way that writers can actually write first draft as well. And then my, this is where you start looking at editors and other people to help you finish the thing off. But once you've got something that can be edited, that's just a fantastic situation to be in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think I think it speaks to a lot of different things, not just writing, but that that I I the book that I wrote it took eight years to write. Yeah, we actually wrote it in six to eight months. But I faffed about so much with perfectionism. Mm -hmm. I'd write a paragraph and try to get it right, and then I wouldn't move on. And and that that that's that perfectionism in that you you stop before you start, or you get started, but you cripple yourself with it before. You get going and I th so you think you're absolutely right but i think you can apply that to anything you know whether it's to, to join a gym to do to learn a skill to whatever it is if you're trying to, to experiment in something to to shift you out of whatever groove you're in taking off that perfectionist head and just giving it a go and doing it roughly and readily and as much as you can and all of that and have a bit of play whatever take the pressure off can be really really helpful um so i totally get that and you're right the technology's moved on so much i mean transcription yeah. now with is is unbelievable um the auto, the AI type transcription for uh, audio is is brilliant. Yeah, Don't need editing, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm actually ironically when you're saying about, I mean, in a different area of my business, I'm suffering from exactly the same problem, perfectionism problem that you were talking about. Right. And I've just restarted launching a course website on my so education website for my my um, thing, and I had a course. Uh, set up on Instagram stickers and now I've taken that off because I was looking at it and it's, it was a bit out of date and it needed updated but now I'm in the process of redoing that again because of perfectionism yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, a lot of, I think a lot of life is just overcoming perfectionism but you can go too far with it you can okay. end up with this like just shove anything out there yeah, yeah. um and then you you're setting yourself up to fail because you're like well i've just got to release something or do something yeah um so it's hard to get that balance right of getting something done but also not just doing the first thing that comes into your head and not really giving it any thought. Yeah. no you're right I, I think if i suppose i wonder if it's you know whatever whether it's writing whether it's a course whether it's you yeah. know golf or learning a sport or a, a how to cook whatever it is you know or even a new qualification you know you're writing those essays that um have a did me masters a few years back that old perfectionism crop crept in again it's about where do you tend to sit on the natural spectrum of that because if you tend to be somebody who's not really bothered by perfectionism you could probably do with a bit of let's check this yeah. let's make sure every idea i have isn't necessarily going to be a good one type of thing but if you tend towards the perfectionists end of the scale then you can you can probably pretty much ease back on that you can still have to have your checks and balances in don't you but you can we can ease back on it and um i you know it's taken a lot of practice i'm still a work in progress on it but sometimes i'm uncomfortable letting things go but i do let them go for that for, for my benefit as much as anything else but you do have to watch quality then don't you yeah well i mean it's like my last book um i mean i've used quite a few um sort of motivation things over the years to get books out hmm. um i did a lot in there's this event called nanowrimo that is national novel writing month uh, yeah. this is a big thing in the us but it's also over here in the uk and i wrote some of the first drafts of some of my novels in nanowrimo um the last book i wrote which was social media networking i took i interviewed people on audio i had audio of 20 people's interviews and i'd sat on those 
interviews for about six months or nine months or something like that. And in the end, I just thought, I've got to get this book out. So I set it on pre-order on Amazon three months ahead. Um, did that sacrifice some of their marketing ability? Could it have been a more successfully launched book? Yes. <laughs> but would it have been launched? Probably not. So <laughs> yeah. there is a lot to be said for balancing out that perfectionism and just a deadline, having a deadline of some some form. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. kind of... I mean, I've kind of got an idea for another book, but I'm like, mm, am I going to have to set a deadline for it? I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> Is this the one that you said you've got a block with, a potential block with, or was that the course that you... Well, the course that I've got... Um, now I'm kind of, I think I'm, I think there's a lot to be said for just starting something. Yeah. If you're in the process of doing it, um, I respond well to external. So if I think people are waiting for something, so I've started a new, <laughs> started a lot of, I've started a new YouTube travel channel. Um, and I've been doing like one video a month for that. And I kind of, there's enough people interested in it that I feel that I've got to produce a, a video each month for it. Mm. Even though I was a little bit late last month, but it's like, it doesn't matter. We'll ignore that. But if people aren't, aren't expecting, say, like a book or something, then it's a lot harder in a way to actually get that done because it's like we, it's the whole urgent, non urgent, um, important, non important matrix idea. Hmm. We spend so much on the urgent, important that always gets done for everybody. So it's like there's a leak of water in your house or something you, you're going to do something about it, it doesn't yeah but the important and not urgent things are where we all struggle i think um and also the urgent not important things can get sometimes you can't tell that they're not actually that important yeah um yeah that, and, that's and then there's often like the annoying not important not urgent but annoying people <laughs> yeah um, well that's interesting because it's their emergency or their urgency can affect yeah, yeah. you can't it yeah and i think you're right urgency can seem important but i mean that and that does apply to a lot of things i find it's interesting because i know we're talking about writing or projects there but i think this this applies you know things like are you more internally motivated or externally motivated yeah. and play into things like some of the clients that i work with whether you know in terms of health does it help to have um a deadline or a, a run or something ahead now for some that can be really good because there's an external motivation i've made a commitment i'm not going to make an ass of myself i'm going to do it and they will it will motivate the train for others it can have that counter effect of it adds a sense of too much pressure and overwhelm so it's kind of it's interesting it's kind of getting to know yourself in that isn't it but yeah. i think you're you're absolutely right that non non-urgent but important stuff and i think that ties into a lot of goals that people have personally so how often is it that many of us, and I, you know, I talk to a lot of people around this, you know, they put themselves to the back of the queue because they're meeting a lot of other demands and themselves is important. It's their health, it's their fulfillment, it's their whatever it is, you know, relationships, but because they're putting themselves to the back of the queue because it's not urgent, a, a week passes, a month passes, a years pass. And before you know it, five, 10 years have passed and nothing has changed or it's got worse, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting area, isn't it? And I think things like the writing, it's not only in itself a means to an end or an end in itself. It's its an example of where you can practice that muscle of overcoming procrastination, getting started, putting yourself first, just doing it. I, I love that kind. I, I always think like that. How can I, what can I learn from that to apply yeah. to other areas of life? 
Yeah, well, I think we're often happiest when we're doing something. We're on one of these things. We're writing a book. We're doing a course. We're doing. Mm. We're in the middle of it, and we're not blocked. Yeah. Um, and personally, I mean, it's funny because I'm probably going to start another weight loss journey at some point in the near future. But the biggest consistent thing, and I'm trying to reduce stress in my life in general mm. now because. You look, I look back all the times I've lost a lot of weight, it's when I've been in a lower stress situation. Mm. So, and there's lots of stuff about cortisol and the rest of it. I mean, the trouble is, like, the internet has now deluged everybody with either simplistic health stuff or like do intermittent fasting or don't do intermittent fasting if you've got cortisol problems and do this and do that. But the like, the most consistent thing is being in this, like, taking time off, not being, like, because I, I had a job for a long time when I was in, it wasn't all the time I was working IT, but I was in charge of this system, and it was like on a daily basis, if anything went, I was in charge of development, but I was also kind of in charge of support in a way, because if anything went really wrong support-wise, it was, they would come to us and like, well, how are we going to fix it? There's a bug fix inside. So it was a job where it was just continuous interruptions and continuous like overwhelm the whole time. And you're just in this continuous fight and flight situation. Mm. So um, I, I think it's it's important to get yourself out of those blocks. And mm. But on the other hand, not get too stressed when you're doing it. Don't get stressed out. It's a hard, it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing, really. You want to get into this non-stressful situation so that you can get the stuff done and then get your health back and online. But often that can stress you out, which then puts you, that means that you don't do the thing that you want to do in the health situation. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, actually, I've just I've just posted something and wrote about that very thing this week um, because I think that we have default, we have our default set of behaviours, don't we? Just just life shapes that as we go. Yeah. And, and this, this applies to every kind of aspect. And whenever we set a goal, we're kind of the goal means we've, we're setting something that falls out of our default behaviors, because otherwise we would be there, wouldn't we, you know, yeah. by, by default. But default is, you know, when things are going well, and I, I know a, a few people who've done, they did really well during lockdown. I know lockdown was a challenge in, for, for many people in different ways, but because of certain sort of the planets aligned for them in certain ways that it would just meant they had more routine balance and lots of things and things went right so they lost a lot of weight it was when after when things sort of returned to whatever the new normal or whatever you called it that things started to fall out of kilter again and that's the challenge isn't it with it because it's finding that when we in order to make a change we have to step out of the default but in order to step out of the default habits and routines it takes headspace and emotional space physical effort And whenever you're stressed, your capacity for the extra stuff squeezes, doesn't it? You know, it heads, I mean, that's really the, cla- the the thing. When things go stressed, chaotic, unhappy, miserable, whatever, then you have less headspace to do the things that you want to do for the goal. You might still want the goal, but it gets crushed, doesn't it? So it is about trying to find that balance of like, am I missing the, what is the one thing that's getting in the way? And do I need to address that? It might be a relationship issue. It might be, it might be a health issue elsewhere. It might be sleep. It might be financial. It could yeah. be a lot of those things. To try to focus on those, 
but at the same time knowing that life is never perfect is <laughs> that's a challenge yeah. so you're right when you talk about like you know do you turn your life upside down to develop this new life well that does create stress in itself so it could be it could be undermining you in the the medium to long term so it's it's fine that it's a, it's a tough one but it's finding the balance isn't it what things do i need to address and then what small changes can i do consistently because the other side you know when you talk about the writing i think it's interesting you know take a couple of weeks off to get your first draft i think is a really good approach um the alternative approach is that you say right i'm just going to do half an hour every day and I'm not bothered how much I write or what I write, but half an hour. And you start to develop the habit um, of that. And this kind of, you could do both, to be fair, couldn't you? But if you look at it from a health side of approach, you've got that in the six weeks to the, you know, six pack or the black dress diet or whatever people talk about. Yeah. versus trying to make small changes more consistently. The small changes more consistently has a little bit of overhead in that it means you're doing it for longer. It gets boring. It's not sexy. It's not all or nothing. But it is, you know, it can lead to that longer term being embedded in your life as a as a practice, you know, as a as a as a way of life rather than uh, you know that one off. Um, and I guess I, I suppose I'm kind of drawing the 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 two analogy or the, the the analogies together there. But I think it's it's that challenge of the balance where life is going to have its ups and downs. So when we live in an artificial, almost perfect life, we will achieve results. But how far, how long do you hold life back? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I, one, one phrase I've started telling people and quoting is, uh, is like, pick your battles. It's yeah. something that's really, especially on social media, because there is nothing intrinsically wrong with social media. But if you are is the sort of person who will see somebody who says something that is massively wrong on social media and you feel you have to reply to it, then often that's a terrible idea <laughs> yeah. it's not a battle that we're fighting um especially as you get older you just haven't got the like because you can end up waylaid arguing with somebody about word whether wordpress is a better website than whatever yeah um, <laughs> one of the other squarespace yeah um and it really it, you've got to think like what well, is this like i mean if it's somebody sort of, well, I mean, generally there's very few situations where it's worth responding to people that upset you. Really, hmm. um, you were just wasting. You, we've only got this fine, this finite, finite amount of energy that decreases as we get older. So you have to really pick your battles. Hmm. And, um, but there, as I say, there were so many beneficial things about being on social media. But you're not supposed to be going around correcting everybody who disagrees with you because that would be like just wandering around on the street and asking people what what are your beliefs on this and then saying like oh no let me convert you <laughs> it's like it's almost like online evangelism evangelism you know what i mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um being no. online evangelical that's the yeah. best way to say it yeah i think you're right and actually there's a there's an thing, isn't it because i i i am um, totally with you on the fact that as, as as i've sort of hit me 40s and now my 50s i just don't have the energy reserves that i did so i have to spend it more wisely oh, so yeah. you do you know and and does it really matter for a lot of them and and there was a i don't know if you come across it was it tim ferris i don't know if it was him but he talked about um you've got imagine you had a, a revolver with six give a shit bullets 
right? You've got six bullets that you will spend on things you give a shit about. Don't waste them because <laughs> that's oh, yeah. the six you've got. Yeah. So what are the six, in other words, what are the six areas in life or the six things in life that are, that are worth the battle or worth the effort, worth the energy? And if they don't fall into that, you really question whether you're going to shoot that bullet. Do you know what I mean? You, you, yeah. You're going to actually spend that energy. Um, so, yeah. So I guess that's an interesting question, though. For, for you, as you've sort of shifted through, where where where, where do you see are the important areas for you in life and, and whatever? Because you, you obviously you've got the business side of things um, and, and that. So what, what do you see as, as important for you going forward in, in terms of those areas? Um, well, I mean, one of the my we've all got blocks. I mean, one of my blocks is I at some point I would like to try and live or travel more or live abroad basically right uh, at the moment i'm still in london and i've got loads of stuff that needs to do into this house i'm living in hmm. um and i've got a block about doing that i think i'm getting close to the point where my and this is something i've noticed as i've been i have been trying to declutter and take things out meant from a mental perspective hmm. and then because otherwise you end up in this like you're always just dealing with the urgent stuff you're just yeah. doing the emergency stuff all the time and you're too tired to do, and I think this probably, I'd say, well, I don't know, I'm not putting a number out, but I'd say at least probably 75% of the population of the world is just in that urgent mode mm. all the time. They haven't got, you, have, you, you haven't got time to think about these things you want to do. And that's where you kind of need to, like, as I say, avoid arguing with people on Facebook, avoid, like, stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's one thing I want to do is stop and become more much more, because i've only ever lived within the m25 right. <laughs> like, i've traveled like 40 states in the u.s but i've never lived anywhere abroad right um and i'd like to do more of that and also from a financial point of view living in london is not the cheapest city in the world um so it would be nice to have more financial stability by moving somewhere else that's cheaper mm. um maybe even the uk come up I'm up north in the uk that'd be yeah. a nice place to go yeah um so that's one thing i want to look at obviously when develop the courses side of things because from an online business perspective it's a lot lot easier to sell higher value products mm. um well i say it's easier it's it's possible to sell anything but i would say books are probably one of the worst things to try and sell if you want to learn marketing how to do it really well learn, try and sell books um people very soon end up into either trying to sell memberships or like high value products because it's just the easier way to go but you need to have something that people want to buy mm. there's no point i could create a course on insulting people on facebook but that's going to do no good because um people seem to be doing that fine as, without any training so yeah, that's kind of in my business area. That's something I want to develop. And yeah, and a lot of it comes back to, I suppose I'm mainly naive in thinking that businesses can help people and make money. So that's kind of my idea. I want a business that helps people, but makes me money as well. So yeah. maybe that's my naivety. I think, I think that is true though, at least in the world of online business. I don't think it's, really dog eat dog as people some people think about business yeah. uh, we, we make the world better and that growth is what drives the business growth yeah 
Yeah. No, I, I mean, I tend to share the same. If it's naivety, then I ch- tend to share it because um, it is it is good to sort of do stuff that you like doing that you find meaningful and can ha- can help. And if you yeah. can make a living out of it, then then all the better. And and people do. So yeah. why not? You know, um, because it's sort of it's a two way street. Then isn't it? It's that reciprocal ideal reciprocal relationship i guess as it goes so yeah you're right um yeah so it's interesting what, what when you say that you're almost there with a the block on the the abroad what what is it then what do you think's in the way um i think part of it is because this is a house like my wife died in basically she died in this house and this was a house we bought together after we got married i think it's related to that in right. terms of not thinking I'm good enough to get the house in the state, but I need to get the house in a decent state so I can either rent it out or sell it or do something along those lines. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily know. I mean, this is the thing, but I think a lot of it is just putting stuff off. Hmm. We put we tend to put off the harder to deal with emotional stuff more than the easy stuff. Um, even though I know it needs doing. It's just like, we'll come back to this conversation that you had early on. It's like, we know certain things need to be done, but unless there's a real, like, incentive for us to do it, or it becomes urgent, we tend not to do it. And those are the hardest things emotionally. That's where you need to clear the rest of the space up so that you can actually take on. And then you find out, oh yeah, it's fine. Just ring this person, oh, it's done. And then you're like, what was I worrying about? Yeah. but yeah that's that's the whole that was like me trying to give my notice letter in it took me so long even though actually when i did it, it wasn't that bad at all really. yeah 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 it's interesting isn't it i think i think the, the approach you've got is is right in the sense of like clear a bit of the clutter is, is 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 important and because that can not only can it cloud things but it can be useful because it clouds it in yeah. a way it can serve a purpose in its own right being i know what i'm like when i'm busy busy it feels good. I might not be making any progress. Yeah. But there's something about it. Um, but you're right. So that dealing with the clutter is a, a really useful strategy. And I think it's, it's also, you know, sometimes adding in the artificial deadline or the external pressure, as you talked about with the book, you know, do I, or, or you know, I'm going to do a 10K, I'm going to do that 10K, the blade and race in June, whatever it is. You know, those kinds of things can be useful in just pushing us forward. The other one, because you've got that, there's a kind of two drivers that you're either moving away from pain or towards pleasure. Now, often that moving away from pain is the one that's more, has more yeah. power because it's painful. The yeah. pleasure thing depends on how close and near the pleasure or the reward is. If it's too far away, it can feel like that's too far in the future. We, we delay, you know, we delay that. We kind of put it off in favor of moving away from pain or short-term, short-term things. So it's how to, t- to tune up what it could be the reward you know what clarifying the goal and the why does it matter that kind of thing can be helpful um so yeah it's, it's an interesting one but um i'll be i'll be interested to, well obviously we'll keep in touch anyway as we do but i'll be yeah. interested to see how you get on with <laughs> well, the journey, like i can help with in terms of just yeah. needling your nudging you as you come yeah. just, that'd be good. <laughs> just to sort of see you there because it'd be it'd be cool i mean you're you're obviously your travel and, and your your the vlogs etc a part of that there's obviously a passion there so to get out and and do that to live abroad would be good so yeah be great so i'm conscious of time because i know you've got to jump on your own just one quick question where would you go then if you were living abroad just out of curiosity where would it be um i don't know as of yet 
there's a few places. This is actually comes from lockdown, uh, even though I'm talking myself into thing. But I watched a load of YouTube videos about places like Mexico, uh, Thailand, Vietnam. There are quite a lot of places that are relatively easy if you're Western to actually get a visa to live mm. there full time. So we'll probably, but I've never visited any of these places. So right. I'm going to have to visit them before I work out where I'll go. Yeah. Um, but that's part of that. It, it's at least for now, it's relatively easy to go and live as a digital nomad, so to speak, in different places. Yeah. So I can live somewhere for three months and then somewhere else for another yeah. three months. Yeah. Uh, there are tax advantages to that as well. Mm. Even somewhere like Dubai, dare I say, um, though, has a bit of a problem in August and July. It's, it's about 10 trillion degrees Celsius. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know the answer, but that's part of the fun of finding yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. And I, I, I love that idea. That was before I um, uh, got married and had a, another little and that uh, <laughs> the, the old digital nomad idea was on the cards. But even even so travel still still a big factor as well. But I like that as an idea of just, you know, testing it out because that can add and flesh out the vision as well, yeah. can't it, by actually visiting those places. So exciting well hopefully yeah. you'll have uh, you'll have a few of those in in the yeah. pipeline at some point um it's been great to talk to you tim and thanks very much for sharing your experiences and uh, your thoughts uh, to the listeners um if anybody will we'll add links into show notes etc but if, if there's any way that anybody wants to get in touch or connect with you where's the best place or easiest place to to find you well i'm stone and press on twitter instagram um a few other places um, stoneandpress.com is my website there's a courses.stoneandpress.com with no courses on it yet but hopefully by the time this comes out there'll be some courses on it yeah. um, and thank you very much for having me as a guest on the show Dave no it's been a pleasure mate and it's been great and hopefully listeners have got a, a lot out of it. It, it it's what i love about these is the different perspectives and different yeah. journeys that people are on and just provoking the thought within people about what the possibilities could be so thank you very much for that and listeners as always if you could drop uh, me a line at dave at restlessmidlifer.com if you have any questions or feedback or if you want me to foster any connection with tim then i surely can do that um but uh, thank you very much for that and we'll catch you in the next episode take care Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links. And if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much and I may even give you a shout out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now and don't forget you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure. <laughs>